If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Y'all ready to get into some word tonight? This has been this has been a really good good service tonight. I've been really blessed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and glad you are all here tonight. God bless you. Um, let's turn over to the Book of Acts as we are beginning a new study. This. Wednesday night, tonight in the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through this entire book on Wednesday nights. I don't know how long it's going to take. I'm not worried about that. We're just going to take our time. And I'm very excited about um, uh, teaching out of this book. I've, I've been in the book of Acts. The, actually, in 2012, um, the Lord was just really highlighting this book to me throughout the year. I spent, I think, the majority of my personal reading time in the book of Acts, over and over and over again. And so I'm, I'm very excited to, to reveal to you over the next few weeks the things that the Lord revealed to me and has and is continuing to reveal to me. Um, now, we're going to be in a lot more teaching mode tonight, but, you know, it's the book of Acts, so you can't help but get a little preachy with this book because it's just dynamic, just fabulous. So um, we're, my plan is tonight to go from uh, Acts chapter 1 1 through 11, uh, we'll see how it goes. But um, being that at 7.45, we might not get all the way through that, but that's all right. There's more Wednesdays to come. Um, if you have your Bible app, uh, the Version Bible app, I've got some notes for you to follow by, so you can you know, click on that. If you don't know how to do that by now, I'll just give you a little bit of instruction. Click on the Live button there on that app, and then search One Cause Church, and there you'll have some notes to follow by. All right. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Let's get into it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And if you can highlight that, highlight that part right there. Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering many, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is a, it describes a transition, one that geographically from Jerusalem where it starts and then it ends in Rome in chapter 28. Theologically, from Israel to the church as we know it, and racially or nationally from Jews to Gentiles. It is a record of power exercised in the midst of persecution in the church, an account of life and health pouring from a living Christ into a very sick society. And God used men and women in obscurity to bring this great message. And these people were very much like you and I. The author of the book of Acts is the great Luke, the physician, the companion of the Apostle Paul. He begins with a reference to his already completed work on the life of Christ, which we know is the Gospel of Luke. Now, he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, and in volume, it's actually more than what the Apostle Paul wrote. Isn't that something? 
In the volume of words, Luke wrote more than Paul actually did. Very, and now he, you know, he's, he got his secondhand information concerning Christ, but uh, I mean, if you're going to get secondhand information, Paul's the right guy to get your secondhand information from. And I'm sure from some of the other apostles as well. Uh, but Acts is, uh, the Gospel of Luke will say is volume one, and the book of Acts is his volume two. Um, it's the continued story of what Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke chapter one, we can also see. Uh, Verse 1, I want to read these four verses to you. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Isn't that interesting? Luke wrote to one guy, both of these books. He wrote to a man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus, but I like what his name means. It means God lover. Theo, God, Phyllis, or Phileo is love, God lover. Any God lovers here tonight? All right, bunch of, I got a, there's a whole room full of Theophiluses here tonight. Lovers of God. That's who he's talking to. That's who this, who is this, these letters are to. And uh, I love, that. I love the, the meaning of the name Theophilus. But like I said, we don't really know much about him. But Luke was certainly thought enough of this man to make sure that he got all the right information in an orderly account of what Jesus began to do and to teach and then what the disciples continued to carry on by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, The book of Acts, it's an unfinished book. When you get to the end of it, you feel like, what else? <laughs> Man, why did he quit there? But we'll get to that later. It's never, but it never has been. I think it's intentional that it was that way because the book of Acts is really still being written. You're now the book of Acts. Today, thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, you are now your lives are being written. Hallelujah. You're carrying on the acts of the Holy Ghost. It really should be called the acts of the Holy Spirit more than the acts of the apostles. Um, but Luke picks up his account in Jerusalem with the closing hours of Jesus' earth, earthly ministry. It is the period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And these first 11 verses, he's going to give us five foundational principles um, to, to build or to grow the church. All right? Everybody say the message. Now let's look at verse 3. To whom he also, that's the first thing. The first principle is the message. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What's that message? The message is what he's saying to us is that Christ is risen from the dead. Glory to God. That's the message that we preach. That's what separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. All their heroes, all their prophets, they're all dead, but ours is alive forevermore. Glory to God. Christ is risen from the dead. If that's not true, then our faith is futile and we are hopeless. Paul said we are the most pitiable of men, I should say, if he's not risen. This Greek word for proof here, these infallible proofs, is a word that includes the idea of being convincing, infallible. Uh, the, the biblical definition of it means that from, with, that from which something is surely and plainly known. 
Luke, from the very beginning, established that Christianity is a religion that is based on historical facts. Very important. First and foremost is the fact of the miraculous resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the, re- the resurrection will be demonstrated by many convincing proofs and often proven it is proof of everything else that matters. Now, I wanna, we're going to look at for a moment four categories right inside these five principles, four categories of proof of Christ's resurrection. All right? You ready for this? You might write these things down because it's important for, for you to just shore up your faith. We're just laying some more concrete on the concrete we already have. Amen? Number one, the number one proof, the disciples saw him raised from the dead. He appeared to them uh, during 40 days. In fact, Luke is the only writer of Scripture who tells us that Christ's post-resurrection ministry covered for 40 days. He says that these disciples <clears throat> eyeballed him for 40 days. They saw him with their literal eyes. They saw him again and again, and uh, not merely once, but many times during this period. And on 10 different occasions, Jesus appeared to the disciples. History leaves no doubt about his resurrection. The first five sightings took place on the first day when he rose again, and the other five took place from time to time during the 40 days that followed. And I want to just look over some scriptures so you can, you can know where those places are. Um, and I'm hoping they'll bring this up on the screen. The first one we're going to look at is, uh, we're going to look at the first five appearances on the same day in which he was resurrected in, in the book of John chapter 20. And uh, verse 11 says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting on uh, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, or Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is the first witness that we see of that day, the resurrection day. Uh, and next we have Matthew chapter 28's account, Verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So we have uh, the women by the wayside. We have first Mary, then we have the women as, as they went. And then uh, Luke chapter 24, um, we see the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? 
And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we are hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went into the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Don't you know he had fun doing that? <laughs> then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. <clears throat> but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? He appears to Mary, appears to these women, and now these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And look at verse 34, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. What happens is they return back and come and tell the disciples. And look, saying the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So somewhere along the way, Jesus has had a meeting with Peter as well. Isn't that interesting? And in Luke chapter 24, 36, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Don't you love Jesus? He just gets right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He's always dealing with this faith and doubt issue in men's lives. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Then he said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So all this happened the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, I want to give you just a couple more. I do have five more in, in, in uh, uh, later times after that. But let's, let's just go to John 20, verses 24 through 29. And if you can, you can look up these other notes. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said, that, he said to them, Unless I see... In his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And all those that, that are in that category shout amen. Amen. We have not seen him, but yet we have believed. I love that Jesus was gracious enough 
to help old Thomas out. Yeah. Eight days later, he shows up, says, I heard what you were saying. Oh, you weren't here. Yeah, I heard you. I'm Jesus. I know everything. Go ahead. Thrust your hand in my nail prints. Put it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Amen. So the disciples saw him. That's one of the proofs. Number two, the disciples heard him. They heard him. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after a suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So they heard Jesus. He taught them many things. All right. Number three proof was the disciples touched him as we saw that Thomas did that very thing. In order to convince his followers of the reality of his, of his resurrection body, Jesus allowed them to feel him with their hands. The reality of his risen body was tried and proven by the normal means of sensory perception. Jesus reappeared to the disciples with the express purpose of allowing Thomas's doubts to be stilled. And number four, the disciples fed him as we, as we saw. The ultimate proof was that he ate with us. Jesus said, hey, spirits don't do this. They don't have flesh and bones. They saw the food disappear because it's, I'm sure it's terribly hard to get a ghost or a spirit to eat food. But Luke says, this is the proof. He ate with us, so we know that he's alive. Peter declared in the home of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 40, him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The end result of these appearances was that the apostles came to believe absolutely in the, uh, in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and they would pay for it with their lives. They would all go to their deaths saying, Jesus is risen. And that right there alone for us is a huge proof, because somewhere along the way, as has been proven time and time again, that men will not die for a lie that they know is a lie. Now, they can be deceived, but men, if they know that it's a lie, they will not die for that. And not, don't, don't forget, these guys didn't just die normal deaths. They died gruesome deaths, tormented, crucified. I mean, the worst kinds of deaths imaginable, and that none of them gave up their testimony that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Powerful. And that assurance of the reality of his resurrection, it gave these guys boldness to preach Christ to the very people who had crucified him. It was a belief in the reality of the resurrection that turned the apostles from being just fearful skeptics to bold and powerful witnesses. Hallelujah. Listen to what John says. He goes above and beyond this and declares that the ground of faith in our life in Jesus Christ is the historical evidence that Jesus was seen, was heard, and handled during those post-resurrection appearances. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm, I'm giving you a lot of scripture tonight, but we're laying some foundation, all right? That which, 1 John 1, 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Isn't that beautiful? He says, we saw him with our eyes. We looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. The word of life, the very word of life. We heard him. This is beautiful. So throughout the centuries, many attempts have been made to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, but how many of you know, none of them have ever been successful. All right? So the first thing here that we, we see that is important, 
first important principle for building the church is that message that Christ is risen from the dead. It all hinges upon that. That is the foundation for our faith. And number two, everybody say the mark. The mark. Verse 4, and being assembled with them, of Acts chapter 1, we're back at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Guys, your lives are about to be marked, and that mark is going to set you apart, big time. This event will so mark your life that others are going to clearly see that you're operating in a wisdom that is not your own, that you are being influenced by something way outside of yourself. And they had this testimony later on in Acts chapter 4, which we'll, we'll look at later on, where they, observing Peter and James and John, they said that they looked at them and they realized that they were untrained and they were unlearned men. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. I want that said of me. Not that I'm highly educated. Not that I have got eloquent speech. Not that I've got all this stuff figured out, but I've, I've had meetings with Jesus and it's completely marked my life. And Jesus said, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is the mark that's going to be on you that's going to change your whole entire life. Now, I've seen that through the years when someone receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues. I've seen major changes in people's lives. I mean, just like that. Matter of fact, at the end of the year, in 2012, um, our uh, youth leaders there in Dallas were ministering to a young girl from the neighborhood. Her name is Nicole. She's 14 years old, pretty rough upbringing. No telling what this this little girl's been exposed to. But... um, Nathan Sauce, one of our youth leaders, was saying that he said, you know, she's been coming to youth and stuff, and he goes, and so I've been looking at some of her social media, like her Twitter and stuff, and he says she just puts things, very inappropriate things on her, on her posts and stuff, and he said, I, you know, we've just been patient with her and, you know, not, not really come down on her about that, but we've just loved her and accepted her and, and uh, you know. So they went to uh, Starbucks one night. It's actually the last Sunday of the year. Um, over off Hampton, there, there's a Tom Thumb, and there's a Starbucks in that Tom Thumb, and they went over there and hung up. There weren't many that showed up to the church that night, so they all decided to go get coffee together. So they were sitting around the table, and Nathan just begins to talk to her about the infilling of the Spirit. Took her to Acts chapter 2 and just read this story. And he said, and he just simply asked her, he said, do you, you want to experience this? She said, yes. And he said that I was just going to, he said she had asked me to pray for her family, and she had a few needs she wanted me to pray for. He said, so I just started praying for those needs that she wanted me to pray for. He said, and as I just start praying, he goes, all of a sudden, this girl just starts speaking in tongues. No, no coaching, nothing. She just started speaking in tongues. He said, we all just sat there stunned, like, what just happened? And uh, he said, man, we all thought, wow, this is great. So he said, we all just spent time praying in the Holy Ghost there together right there at Starbucks and Tom Thumb of Hampton in Oak Cliff. I love it. And he said what's interesting was the very next post that she put up and the post after that on Twitter and whatever else, he said no more inappropriate language or anything. He said it was just all gone. The Holy Ghost just marked her life. It's beautiful. Beautiful. 
Now look at this. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Everybody say mindset. The third principle for building the church is to get the right mindset. The disciples were, they're, 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 they're not thinking. I mean, they thought actually that Jesus was going to be more like, oh, what was his name? Judas Maccabeus known as the hammer in the 400 silent years, right? That he thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government, right? They thought Jesus was coming to, to conquer and to set up his kingdom. And they thought, is, is it now? I mean, we've been waiting all this time. You've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. Is it now that you're going to establish Jesus? It's not for you to know the times or seasons. God put, the Father's put that in his own power. What you need to get your minds around is that you're going to be here and I have work for you to do here because I'm going to the Father and I need you to set your mind on that thing. All right? We got to have the right mindset as the church. We got to have the right mindset as believers if we're going to build God's church in this day and age. Don't waste your time thinking about things that don't pertain to what you're here to do. God has given you and I plenty to set our minds on in this glorious book, so don't major on the minors. Amen? Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So don't, your, don't spend your time on things that you can't explain, right? Or things that have not been revealed to you. Set your mind on what's important to God. What's important to God? Well, his word is important to him. His people are as important to him. His promises in your life at work are important to him. Amen. That's how we set our mind on things above. It's not like we just go around going, oh man, I bet it's great up there in heaven. I'm just setting my mind on that. <laughs> things above are things above what this earth can offer you. Right. All right? Yeah. And the Word of God is the most powerful thing that you can get in your mouth. Yeah. Glory to God. And the church of the living God is the most important thing that you can put your hands to, to, to serve in and to work in, to give yourself to. That's setting your mind on things above. Like I said, major on the majors. There are, there's plenty, of, like, like when my dad says it, there's a few gray areas in the Bible, but so few compared to what's truly black and white that we just need to focus on the black and white. Amen. If it's not revealed, then it's concealed for a reason. Amen. So we got to get the right mindset. The disciples were looking for something that only God had the power to know at that moment. But watch this. I like this word. Everybody say moxie. The moxie. Look at verse 8. But you shall receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When do you receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Watch. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now I want you to we're going to slow that down for just a moment because when Jesus gave them the geographical areas that they were going to to be witnesses too, I'm sure it struck a little bit of terror in their hearts. All right? What he's saying is that you're not going to be able to keep this to yourself. You're going to have this boldness and this courage about you, this moxie, if you will, that you will not be able to keep silent. Glory to God. Your mission is to live your life to show Jesus to the world. Jerusalem, think about this. The first place he mentions they're going to be witnesses is Jerusalem. 
What happened in Jerusalem? That's where Jesus was crucified. That's where the enemies are. Judea, this is where Jesus was rejected. This is where the doubters are. So the enemies, from the enemies to the doubters, Samaria. We know what Samaritans are. They're half-breed Jews. So now you've got to deal with racism. All right, so you've got enemies, you've got doubters, and you've got racists. Well, doesn't that sound like a fun missions trip? Huh? And to the ends of the earth. Dun, 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 the Gentiles. The heathen, the pagans, the uncircumcised. That's a tall order, Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him. Everybody say, in him. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well about the living water. That is, this, this really speaks about your salvation experience. When you become born anew again, the Spirit, of the, God, the Spirit of the Lord comes and lives on the inside of you, and it is a fountain springing up. It's a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. It's glorious. But watch, John chapter 7 and verse 38, three chapters later, he who believes in me, Jesus says, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. How, does, how do rivers of living water flow out of your heart? What does that look like? Well, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Rivers of living water come flowing out, hallelujah, from your heart. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. This is good. So that believing in him is that John 4.14 experience. That's the fountain spring up to everlasting life. But this right here, glory to God, speaks of the Holy Spirit who would come upon those who would believe, where it would become now not just a fountain spring up to everlasting life for them, not just a personal experience, but now a testimony to others. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's the end of John chapter 7. Glory to God. And the last thing here, look, let's look at verse 9. Everybody say motivation. The motivation. Now he had, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What he's saying is Jesus is coming back again. That is our motivation as believers. That's our motivation as the church to know that he's coming back and we must do, we must be about our father's business. We must do whatever we can while we're here on this earth to bring as many people to Jesus as as we can to build the church of the living God because he truly, surely, without fail is coming back. It's our motivation to fulfill our calling as believers, to keep our eyes on Jesus by continuing to build his church and to love others and to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. He's coming back for a glorious church. He is the reason why we are who we are and why we do what we do. Many years ago, when my dad was pastoring out in St. Angelo, we had this man walk in one day to the church named Ronnie Bailey. And Ronnie Bailey barely opened his eyes, and he always walked around like this, Hello, Brother Eric, how you doing? And he always, 
you can't, actually when he first came to our church, he couldn't put two words together. It was just incoherent gibberish. He would try to speak and, he, and, he would, and you'd have to just tell him, slow down, Ronnie, slow down. He'd, he had had a little trouble in his life with drugs prior to meeting God, and so he was working through things. And, but over time, it was really interesting to see the transition in Ronnie, and he wasn't a real smart man either. But one thing that you could always pick up from Ronnie is that he had a powerful experience, he would say, in 1986, when he was riding on his motorcycle and Jesus rode on his motorcycle with him. He would say, it's a powerful experience. Powerful experience. 1986, when Jesus rode, my motor, rode on my motorcycle with me. But he'd say, Brother Eric, it's true. Jesus rode on my motorcycle. He'd say, he'd, you couldn't tell anything else about Ronnie, but you knew in 1986 he had a powerful experience on his motorcycle when Jesus rode on his motorcycle with him. And over time, he just kept coming. He was very faithful. Very faithful to coming to church Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. He was always there. And it was interesting to see the transition over time, how Ronnie just being there in the presence of God, worshiping God, his speech began to clear up. We, we really watched healing work in his, in his speech. And he would get so excited Anytime dad got excited, which, you know, we all know how often that is when he's preaching. Ronnie would sit on, on the front row and he'd be right there. You tell him, John Holler. You tell him. <laughs> One time he got so excited, dad was preaching about the devil. I'll never forget they were standing all the way in the back of our church, a long church, all the way back there in the back. <laughs> he started, dad started talking about the devil and how evil he was. And oh, Ronnie just blurted out, expletives about the devil. But everybody was kind of used to him. Just chuckle all the way throughout the crowd, you know, there goes Ronnie. But he really never had much to say when he had, you know, he liked the girls in the church, the ladies in the church, so he'd bring fried pies to the ladies in the church. He'd stop off the convenience store and buy those Miss, Miss Baird or whatever it was, fried pies. Hand them out every Sunday. And one day he was talking to dad, always catching one of us on staff and, you know, monopolizing our time, <laughs> but we loved him. And uh, he, said, he told dad, he said, he said, Pastor John, I love to go tell people about Jesus. And he did. Man, the guy just carried tracks with him everywhere. And so he was our number one church spokesman, which we didn't know how to feel about that. I, I, <laughs> But he went and told everybody where he went to church. And he always carried tracks. And he said, Pastor John Holler, I love, I tell people about Jesus and I tell people about Tree of Life Church everywhere I go. Dad said, I know you do, Ronnie. He said, yeah, I just want to make headlines in heaven. Pastor John, I want to make headlines in heaven. I like that. Our motivation to be guys that are making people that are making the news in heaven. Can't you see a little boy on the side of the sidewalk on the streets of gold saying, extra, extra, read all about it. James and Chelsea won five people to Jesus today. 
want to make headlines in heaven. I want records being written continually about what I'm doing for the kingdom of God, for the church yes. of God. Amen. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen. He's coming to settle yes. accounts. And he has with him rewards forever. Remember, one of those is that white stone. We don't know what that white stone is, but I want a white stone. He's giving it out. I want it. The message is what builds the church. People marked by the Holy Spirit. The mindset that we are here for the purpose of his kingdom. The moxie, the courage, and the boldness to do it. That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the motivation, that is, for our Savior. To give back to Him all that we know to do and what we can do because He gave us everything that He could. Glory to God. Father, thank You. Thank You for this opening and this great book. Thank You, Lord, that we get to look into this and learn and to grow and to increase in our knowledge of God and to experience You in powerful ways, Father. Lord, help us as we leave from here tonight, Lord, that we will take your word into our hearts, Lord, and that we will, it will take root and it will germinate and it will grow, God. And Father, I thank you that you've, you've made everyone in this room tonight able ministers, God, able ministers to bring your message, God. You've given us all the power that we need by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for boldness to declare your great word. Thank you, Father God, for keeping us, helping us to continue to look up for our redemption draws nigh, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, knowing that someday he is returning for us. He's returning for a glorious church. He's coming to establish his kingdom on the earth. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you help us, God, to stay ever mindful of that, Lord, so that we'll keep the cause of Christ before us always, God. That will be our motivating factor, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Help us to be bold with this good news, God, to be proclaimers, declarers, God, of your grace and your love for all mankind. Bless your people, Father. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.